Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Outgrow's Marketer of the Month. I'm your host, Dr. Saksham Shaiva. I'm the creative director at Outgrow.co. And for this month, we're going to interview Jen Spencer, who's the CEO of SmartBug Media. Thanks for joining us, Jen. Oh, so glad to be here. So Jen, we're going to start with a rapid fire round just to break the ice. You get three passes. In case you don't want to answer the question, you can just say pass. But try to keep your answers to one word or one sentence only, okay? Okay. All right, so the first one, at what age do you want to retire? Ooh, mm, maybe 70. Okay. How long does it take you to get ready in the mornings? Uh, 45 minutes. What item is worth spending more money on? Uh, a really nice handbag. <laughs> <laughs> and what is one thing you regret spending money on? Pass. <laughs> uh, what movie do you enjoy quoting the most? Oh, uh, Elf. Uh, who's your favorite Disney character? Um, pass. What are you most looking forward to in 2023? Continuing to grow SmartBug and hire more people. <laughs> Pick one, Mark Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey? Oh, um, okay. <laughs> I'm going to go Zuckerberg. Okay. The biggest mistake of your career? The biggest mistake? Um, not trusting myself. How do you relax? Good scotch and Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> How many cups of coffee do you drink in a day? Uh, one to one and a half. A habit of yours that you hate? Sleeping in. At what time of day are you most productive? Afternoon. Really? <laughs> okay. And the last one is uh, your favorite Netflix show. Um, there's so many. I think The Queen's Gambit was like that was that was amazing. Okay. Uh, so tell us more about how come your afternoons are productive. Most of people say mornings. <laughs> I'm not a morning person. I'm not a morning person. So, and I think it's partially like I have, because SmartBug is a fully remote organization. We've got people all over, mostly in North America, but um, everyone, a lot of people are on the East Coast. So, and I'm in Arizona. So I'm on Pacific time or mountain time, depending on the time of year. Uh, and... And so I, I'm really booked with meetings and connecting with people um, in the in the morning. And so the afternoon is when I get to like get into my groove and just play music and kind of like put my head down and do more deep work. And I, yeah, I'm definitely more of that like afternoon into the early evening kind of a a, a work in my groove. It's just quieter. Fair. Okay, so let's jump to the long questions. The first one is, do you believe that whatever the economic scenario, uh, that businesses will continue to evolve and the relevance of cloud-based SaaS will only increase? I mean, sure, right? Yeah. I think it just depends. It, it's, it's, it, I hate to say, well, it just depends, but it, but it does, right? And as long as 
um, the the platforms that are out there, the cloud-based SaaS that is being being produced and marketed and sold is helping people. If it's helping people um, achieve a goal, do their jobs better, then that's only going to continue to grow and evolve. So I think it just comes down to, especially during challenging economic times, although really this is true in any at any time is you have to look introspectively and say, if we didn't, if we did not exist tomorrow, what would that loss be? And you know, how significant would that be? Um, so that's just the, the frame that I would, I would encourage people to, to, to look, look through. And how would you put that frame for your own company? So if your company didn't exist tomorrow, tell us the loss that would be as an example. Yeah, we're a SaaS company, but we do support SaaS companies. And so I think about um, our clients and we have, you know, over, over well over a hundred clients that are depending on us each and every day to help them achieve their revenue goals. And we're working very closely with them and owning their goals as if they were our own. And so it would be um, extremely traumatic for those clients and all of the entities that those clients serve, um, all of those clients kind of customers and uh, whether they're current or future customers and stakeholders. So if we didn't exist tomorrow, um, a lot of people would not be in a good place. So you mentioned remote culture. So what is your take on remote culture? Do you believe that long-term remote work will have a negative impact on work culture or not? No, I, I don't. I mean, I, I have to say, um, prior to coming to Smartbug, I never worked in a fully remote environment before. I traveled a lot. So mm -hmm. I worked from lots of hotel rooms and conference rooms and, and, and coffee shops while I was out and about. But I always had a home office to kind of go back to. But I also managed teams that were hybrid, and that was really challenging. So I really feel for all of those team members and managers who are embracing hybrid work. I don't. I don't think it's. It. I, I think it can work, but I think it comes with its own unique set of challenges. But at SmartBug, we've always been remote. So we we you know we've been around for 15 years now, and from day one remote, and we will we will always be. And it was the first time I had worked in a remote environment and I was really scared because I may get in front of people, build culture, like feed off of the energy in a room kind of person. And I was really worried about that. But because we built our culture with intentionality of knowing, okay, we're remote, so, but how do we build connections with each other and how do we... Um, what 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 do we need to do intentionally to make sure um, that we've got that company culture that we want? Because we've done that, it is a we have a very very vibrant culture, and people at Smartbug know each other far better and are far more connected than teams that work together in the same room, you know, right up next to each other in other companies that I've worked at. So I'm excited about it, um, but it doesn't. It doesn't mean that everyone's going to succeed. It means, you know, it, it, it's, you have to look at what is your company? Like, what is your business? What do you do? How do people collaborate with each other? And are you going to make the investments that you need to make in the way that those teams actually function? And you can't just phone this in. <laughs> Be successful that way. 
And so uh, how about your clients? Are they also very remote or hybrid or what's up with them? Yeah, a mixture, right? We've got clients who are all in office, you know, uh, companies. We have clients who are hybrid. We have some that are leaning into fully remote. So a little bit of everything. But I, I will say um, all of our clients, I mean, they know that we are completely remote. So we we already know that they're, you know, they're, they're comfortable with that. Um, and so it's something that pre-pandemic, used to come up here and there, right? Some people would have a hard time picturing, how can you actually get work done? How can you be really collaborative when you're not all in the same place? And, and for those people, they might end up choosing an agency that's local to them that can meet with them in person and have that, that, that in-person FaceTime. But you know, post-pandemic, now it's everyone's eyes are opened a little bit more and like, okay, like this maybe, maybe this does, this does work okay. So I think our clients are, are happy that we've got talented people and they just want the work to get done and they want to hit their goals. Um, and then for, as far as their own business, that's really unique to them, you know? And, and so where would you say is the best way to transform your customers or your clients into evangelists for your brand in general? <laughs> Uh, well, I think it starts with just doing really good work for them. So doing what you say you're going to do. And I know that sounds like table stakes. To me, that's table stakes. Do what you said you were going to do. Unfortunately, there are a lot of marketing agencies that don't do what they say they're going to do. So um, so we never want to be one of them. Um, so we always want to make sure that we, first, it's when we bring a client on, we want to really make sure that we believe we can make them wildly successful. So um, it means we've got uh, a pretty in-depth discovery process on the sales side of things, because if we don't think we're going to be able to help somebody, it's not going to benefit any either of us, right, for us to take on that client. Um, that short-term kind of win is, is not really a win. So that's the first thing is really making sure there's good fit and we think our intelligent inbound methodology is going to help them. Then it's really understanding their business and dedicating the resources up front to really making sure that we've got you know good synergy and then it's executing on the the plan and iterating so looking at data and seeing okay this is what we this is what our hypothesis was for them for their marketing strategy and their goals here's what we're actually seeing you know kind of as early as early as we can you know what are the results we're seeing and how do we want to adapt and if we do that, then, and our clients hit their goals, then our clients leave us reviews in third-party places, they serve as references for us, and they champion our content on social media platforms where we know we're attracting other, other potential customers. So it just, it all comes down to doing really great work for our people. Again, speaking of the kind of work that is done nowadays, do you believe that for startups and specialist apps, uh, integrating with the leading platforms in their category has become a must-have, not nice-to-have requirement in order to win customers? Definitely. It's definitely a must-have. I was just reading an article before we joined uh, joined this, this conversation um, about connected systems and how 
80% of marketers, and this was an article that HubSpot published, 80% of marketers believe that um, having the right data, having personalized um, experiences is far more important now than ever before for uh, reaching potential, potential customers, but half of marketers don't feel they've got the data that they need in order to make that possible. And I totally believe it. I believe it um, just in the, the marketing roles that I've sat in, sales and marketing roles I've sat in myself and what I've seen of our clients and in our partners. And it is challenging when you don't have those systems integrated. And as you grow, it just becomes more challenging. So if there's something that I wish I would have done, you know, when I joined SmartBug, in 2017, we were 28 people. Today, in 2022, we are over 175 people, um, just as like a frame of reference for size of you know, growth. And I wish there are certain things, systems we would have integrated then, because now you're you just get you get busy, and there's so much to do, and there's so much data flowing through your systems, and if they're not connected, you're missing out on signals that could really inform your strategy and, and, and help support your goals. And so as early as you can, um, as early as it makes sense to do so for your business, I highly, highly recommend it. Cause you don't wanna be in this place where you're then trying to play technical debt catch up um, when you really should be uh, putting your foot on the gas and really you know going for that next phase of growth. So could you give examples of some of your clients who have managed to do this well? Um, I, I don't, I, I can't share client, uh, you know, specific client information necessarily, although I will say, um, I guess I will say one of our clients, because we have a published case study, um, the Arbor Company. So there's, there are a, a, an organization that has senior living communities, uh, which a lot of our clients, I know it's not on SaaS, we've been talking about software, but, but in that senior living space, um, they've got multiple locations and they run a lot of different kinds of advertising. So they've got their, they've got digital, right? Um, and they're practicing inbound, but there's also traditional advertising because uh, that demographic and that market, it still makes a lot of traditional advertising still makes a lot of sense. But how do you blend the traditional like offline marketing with the digital online? And so through using certain tools like CallRail, which will help um, and integrate that with HubSpot as their marketing platform, we can actually track which, um, which ads, which um, offline types of advertisement is contributing to inbound calls. And we can see which publications are performing the best and which regions are performing the best. And so that's an example of, of something back in Right. If I take myself myself back, you know, ten or so, ten or twelve years, and when I was running marketing and doing a lot of offline advertising, you just had to kind of guess, right? Like you would say, "Well, we spent X amount in radio and and TV and newspaper, and it land they launched on these days, and we saw an uptick in sales on these days," and so you could make some correlations, right? That was the best you could do. Now our client Arbor, they can actually draw a direct line to this specific ad resulted in this call that came in that got this booking that resulted in this new resident moving in. So it's pretty cool. 
So how do you think the entire offline versus online advertisement thing is now going, not considering the online ads are now also flooded with bots, <laughs> real bots, uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I got, I have to say, um, uh, we, 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 our focus is so much more on organic, um, and, and, and paying attention to some of those intense signals. Um, so while we do a lot of paid media for our clients, uh, I wouldn't, that's not what we lead with as an organization. So I might just not be the best person to, to answer question for you right now so going back to ecosystems then so almost every major SaaS category today has thriving ecosystems of software and service firms who grow around core platforms so would you agree that community-led growth second-party data marketplaces are ultimately all ecosystems yes i i do i do firmly believe so um and and i i think the idea of the idea of a community. I mean, that that is your. Let me lay back up and say when we've previously thought about ecosystems, we I, I think about it through the lens of channel uh, and and doing a lot of work in channel sales and channel marketing and creating this army of basically volunteer salespeople who are have some there's some other reason why it makes sense for them to be rec uh, recommending your business, but it's 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 because there's there's this sort of secondary benefit that they're getting from recommending you that but that is powerful to have someone who's not your brand right like a partner say hey this is a platform i recommend and this is a solution i recommend that's that's effective and powerful in and of itself now you take a community of users and evangelists they have literally nothing to gain right there's like no financial benefit, right? I mean, maybe there's something that the brand is doing to incentivize those people. Let's put that aside because that's not, they're, they're not in the sales kind of position. It's not, you know, very plainly obvious that they're getting something from this. Um, in the same way, like influencer marketing, if, if you're you know, very familiar with that, you might kind of make that correlation. But these communities of these people who are evangelizing the, the, the products that they're using, it's pretty huge. And so those, those brands that have found a way to tap into that, to invest in those communities and grow them, that's now become an ecosystem that is significantly more powerful or has the capacity to be significantly more powerful than your traditional uh, VAR channel kind of ecosystem that is what started all of this. True. I was going to say, so ecosystems are everywhere now to the tune of 70 trillion, according to McKinsey. What are some of the ways in which businesses can leverage the power of this ecosystem-driven marketing? Well, I think we, we, talk, we, hit, we hit on a couple of those things. So one, it might be through, might be through technology partners that you have, but when you bring, when you bring on some kind of a partner, it's, there's a win-win where you are referring or co-selling, collaborating on deals with each other. Um, I would look at, well, how do you leverage more from your shared marketing efforts? And how do you, how do you layer your editorial calendars, your campaigns together to do more together, right? We've got countless examples of 
you go alone, you do something alone, right? You you can be successful, but if you partner with someone else, that how that compounds and one plus one equals three, not two, right? So we've seen that happen. Um, and, and, and I think that that's, that's, to me, that's like sort of traditional, right? Traditional digital partnership ecosystem. Um, but so many businesses, so many leaders are just now kind of recognizing that as, as an opportunity. Um, but the other thing with, with your evangelists, it's figuring out like you all have, everyone has a community, they have an ecosystem. Even if you don't think you do, you actually do, right? Um, because you have people who are using your product or services, and they have an opinion about it, and they 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 are talking about it, whether online or offline. And so it's it's up to you as that brand to say, how do we want to corral this information? And there's so many different ways you can do that, um, and different technology and different programs that you can implement. Uh, but but I think it's 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 right there. It's right for the taking. People want to make that investment. And how come this is something that is coming to the fore now? Uh, what's happened in tech that the discussion about ecosystems has come to the fore now and not before? Yeah, um, I think it's a few different things. I think, first of all, the proliferation of social media and the way people engage um, and and just the, the, the capacity to kind of connect um, is really key. None, none of this would be possible without that technology. Second, um, as people um, faced the ecosystem, I'm not saying that the pandemic caused this by any means, right? But as people were sort of forced apart in a lot of ways, um, they then needed to lean into something in order to get that sense of community and connect with people. And so you start leaning into different online channels and kind of starting to join groups that maybe you otherwise would have not because you didn't have the time or the space or you were getting fulfillment, like personal and professional fulfillment from other parts of your life. So I think it opened that up. And now, even though people are interacting and going back into an office and going to events, there's still so much value that's coming from those, um, those online interactions that people are recognizing, hey, I wanna to continue to invest here. Um, and finally, it's through more advanced marketing attribution and sales attribution technology, we're able to see the impact. So if you can measure it, then you can start to look at how do I scale it? How do I grow it? Right. And you're tracking it. And so then it becomes something that your C-suite is more willing to fund if they see that attribution. And so it's all of those things kind of all coming together that I think are um, pushing this idea of ecosystem and community-led growth into the, the forefront right now. So speaking of like tech evolving, marketers usually rely on MarTech to equip them with the skills needed to compete in constantly changing and evolving markets. So what key factors in your experience will lead marketers to look for alternatives to major MarTech apps? Factors that would lead them to, to look for alternatives. Um, I think it's going to be reliability. So um, that I mean that that that's pretty huge. So you, if it's your the platform you use every day, and you go and log in, and you know once a week, let's say I mean I'm just pulling this out of thin air, but 
that things aren't firing off the way they are supposed to, um, they're gonna they're gonna switch. They're gonna go look for something else. Um, and the other thing is, I think it's it's simplicity. Uh, I think we're overwhelmed. I think there's um, marketers have so much on their plates, um, and and uh, you know I make make jokes about like being a Swiss Army knife marketer who it's like what did you just have to do everything right and it's if, it, if anything kind of remotely sounded like marketing it kind of fell on marketing shoulders and guess what almost everything remotely sounds like marketing these days so so it's it's overwhelming so systems that um, are better connected and do more for their customers uh you know or i guess on the flip side the question was like what would cause someone to leave it's if if the systems aren't connected if they're not speaking to each other if platforms don't do um maybe they're they're too shallow in that they 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 look to have a really robust feature set but actually really only like two or three out of the five you know features let's say they have are really kind of best of breed and everything else is sort of subpar um that's going to be a chink in the armor because uh marketers need need complete systems um but they need it to be simple uh and 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 alleviate some of the stress of their their their, their work day and speaking of like you, you clearly really like the industry of work again but the last question for this podcast usually is so what would you be doing in your life if not this oh my gosh <laughs> What would I be doing in my life if not this? It's really, it, it's, it's, it's so interesting. It's hard. So I, I'm going to say this. So I actually, I started my career as an English and theater arts teacher, but then worked for eight years in nonprofit performing arts. So in, in public relations, marketing and sales. Um, and so there's a piece of me that would go back to the nonprofit space because I see that, um, there are so many nonprofit organizations that are uh, still what I feel like light years behind and could be so much more effective if they were able to make some investments in technology. Uh, it could it could actually, I think, really pay off dividends for them. And so in another life, right, I'd love to go back to nonprofit and um, and help them help help usher a nonprofit into uh, today's modern digital marketing age. Okay, well, that was the last question. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for this month's episode of Outgrowth Market of the Month. That was Jen Spencer. Thanks for joining us, Jen. Thank you. Glad to be here. Check out the website for more details, and we'll see you once again next month with another Marketer of the Month.